Welcome to Ideas Don't Bleed, the podcast presented by Ashcan Press. It's about comic books. It features myself, I'm Griffin, Ethan is here, and Mr. Matthew Rosenberg, who I think maybe just had some strawberry milk. <laughs> I, just, I just had some strawberry milk. I, I had some strawberry milk. I'm wearing a pink t-shirt. I held yeah, up my strawberry milk to show you guys day. on camera that I was having strawberry milk. And I think mm-hmm. it, you know, it washed mm-hmm. out with the pink shirt. So you guys thought I was just bragging about drinking milk. <laughs> Look, check this out, guys. Do you guys, get you tummy ever... issues from how much milk you drink and how often? No, I'm a mammal. Really? Okay. I mean, <laughs> I can't drink uh, that much milk. Okay. It's not... I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. It's like we have different. It's like a special ability of yours. You we have different. Like we have else. different bodies, Ethan. We do. Everybody's bodies are different. Mine's bad. <laughs> um, I don't. I wasn't going to say that. I was implying. I let you go there. Um, none of this is why anyone tunes into our show. No. Uh, they tune in because we have wonderful guests from around comics, mm-hmm. and this week is no different. And next week, because we split the show into two parts, so next week it'll be the same guest. Spoiler. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have a wonderful guest from comics uh, that I'm very excited about. Uh, We've been trying to have her on for a bit, and our schedules were never coordinated, and we made it work today, uh, even though all of us are stressed out and it's chaotic. Uh, Leah Williams is here. Leah, thank you for so much for coming yeah, on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that we could finally make this happen. Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's, you've been at the top of my list for guests for so long that now we've interviewed a lot of people who were way below you <laughs> and they've moved past you. And I don't want people to think that it's some sort of, we do rank the guests in order mm. and we are going from <laughs> hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. We are going from my <laughs> most important guest to least important. Who's, who's at the bottom right now? <laughs> well, well, that's the problem is that Leah's at the bottom, but she shouldn't be at the bottom is what oh, I'm saying. Okay. It's okay. I, I feel like that's that's kind of my normal ranking when I get invited onto podcasts. It's like, <laughs> you know, the the more famous and successful comic writers have all gone before me. So they're like, all right, who else can we get? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's that one. Yeah, yeah. The, she's probably not busy. Uh, that's <laughs> She's probably not busy. It's a great, but that's a great place to be uh, because <laughs> because I feel like I'm the person who is like, well, we don't really want him, but also maybe he's busy. Like people, <laughs> I'm, I'm like an afterthought, but also an afterthought that they assume that I'm busier than I am. What was the, there was some podcast we were talking about recently where you were like, well, everyone's been on that, guys. And I was like, I've never been on that podcast. <laughs> and, and then I was like, I felt really bad for like a day. We don't need to say what Conan, podcast it was, it was. It was Conan O'Brien's podcast. It was Conan O'Brien. I've never been on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Conan, big big comics fan, of course. Big, yeah. Maybe he is. I don't know anything about him. I mean, He's I know a lot of stuff. He, did, the, he did his show at Comic-Con a bunch, and like he always like calls the crowd a bunch of losers and <laughs> whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but is he wrong? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh, I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said it. No. The crowd of Comic-Con are not losers. We love them. And Conan O'Brien is great. And they definitely wear deodorant. 
And they definitely <laughs> sm they smell awesome, and they're yeah, uh, they're all great, and we love them. And uh, now I may be going to Comic Con this year with much against my will. And uh, really, you know, I will Which wear one? deodorant. What? Which one? San Diego. San Diego, yeah. I might have to be in I might have to be in LA then and so then they were like well if you're in LA and and like it was just in, inferred that it might as well go to a really really busy horrible place uh, like, that's not that's like really not like LA and San Diego they're closed but it's not they're like, close you just not like yeah if you drive down the road yeah I don't I it, it felt to me when someone said if you're in, well if you're gonna be in LA you might as well go is saying like saying to me I live in New York being like well you might as well go get in a traffic jam in philadelphia like why wouldn't you <laughs> like that's the same sort of thing of just like to want to do something unpleasant two hours away from where you are and it's like yeah um but comic-con has really good food so that there's that yeah i consistently hear that from people especially comics people like they bemoan how terrible san diego comic-con is but there's good food Griffin you know, disagrees. Look at his eyebrows. He's not. He's, okay, he's, well, like when you say Comic Con has good food, you mean just like no, San Diego, the San Diego area. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because like I was like, does San Diego Comic Con have like some sort of killer no, cafe the, setup? Are the no, chicken tenders like catering. the chicken tenders? First of all, <laughs> the first five years I did Comic Con, the only food I ate all day was Mrs. Fields cookies because that is like the only thing. <laughs> That's the only food stand that they have. There's like a pretzel uh -huh. thing and a, like you wouldn't go near it and Mrs. Fields cookies. Yeah. And I once uh, uh, did a, I was like, well, let's see. I had a book that was like kind of hot and I had a variant for it at San Diego and I had nowhere to sell it. And I was like, I'm selling it by the Mrs. Fields at the, at the <laughs> gate. And I was just wanting to see if people showed up and I got there and there was a crowd of people. And I was like, oh, I'm just selling books by the Mrs. Fields. And it was kind of like my ideal comic situation to yeah. do mm -hmm. and now i now i can't ever go back to like having a table and doing all that i it, it's mrs to fields not being next to a mrs fields booth i do i do love a mrs fields cookie that's a good cookie mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. maybe you I don't definitely... go to the con maybe you just find like your favorite local milkshake spot and you just tweet hey i'm at this milkshake spot <laughs> come get some signatures yeah, See, the, the problem is my favorite my favorite milkshake spot in in san diego is, is hodad's and it's always crowded mm -hmm. during the comic con okay but you know whatever uh i do like the con i just don't like that many people <laughs> being anywhere i, I think the con okay, yeah. well let me ask yeah. you guys this real quick while we're talking about food carts and uh, con food and everything of course the topic of the podcast uh, every mm -hmm. week food cart talk yeah <laughs> i was at a concert the other night and then what was the concert the, say the concert so we can judge you i was seeing father john misty uh judging okay okay that's fine that's fine <laughs> Uh, but the the opener for him came out and said, "You guys are a pretty you guys are a pretty quiet crowd, and you have a pretzel cart here." And the crowd seemed to kind of be like, "What does that mean?" And he's like, "And I did a show in Cleveland last night. They did not have a pretzel cart, but they were extremely chatty." And I was like, "What is this?" That's a good bit. Thing is it like. <laughs> people who go to pretzel carts are also really talkative i think that no isn't the idea that they don't people who go to pretzel carts aren't talkative because they're they're chewing on pretzels right i, I don't know <laughs> but anyway maybe if we put let's put more pretzel carts at the con and then it'll be quiet. I, don't like pretzels. I don't think pretzels are the answer all right that's fair. um all right i think just put a hundred thousand less people <laughs> at the con, but that's oh, just that'd me. be good 
Don't um, stop the place. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's get into the show. The actual show. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this isn't it. I thought this, it was and, be like this. Now what? I mean, this wasn't the show. <laughs> no, I mean this is what knowing <laughs> knowing them. This will be on the show. Uh, mortifying. I was I was having the thought. I was like, this is our best episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, well, that made me sad. So, uh, <laughs> Leah, we always ask the same same question to start with. Uh, it's a broad one. We like to start broad and then chisel away which is uh just the simple why comics what is it about comics you love why do you make comics why why comics that's circle back a really appropriate question for you in particular to ask me because whenever people uh you know ask me similar questions along those lines i pretty much quote a conversation that i had with you Uh verbatim as to the reason why uh and it's that we're all crazy. We're in comics because we're crazy sure. <laughs> because we're passionate about it. You know, there's no like high financial rewards or security in the comics industry, but as a medium, uh, it's something that, you know, we all see a lot of value in. Yeah. When did you like, when did you fall in love with comics? Like what, when, do you have a moment where you were like, this is not, not want to make comics, but when you, when you love, when you fell in love with them as a reader? It was definitely when I started working in a comic book shop. I liked comics a lot before then. And I was a fan, but I didn't become like an obsessed fan until I was working in this comic book shop and you know, sitting behind the counter and just kind of like binge reading entire runs uh, day in and day out. And uh, that I think is when I truly fell in love. And I was like 18 at the time. Um, And it just kind of like recalculated the route of my entire life and Uh changed everything from there. The Why did you just take a job at a comic shop? Because you were like, well, I like comics. Okay. And it's a job kind of thing yeah (laughs) Yeah, sure uh i could it's funny because i worked in a comic shop too we talked about that in the past but like i could see if you weren't and i I could see it going either way (laughs) that if you were like i like comics working in a comic shop could make you hate comics or fall in love with them (laughs) yeah i it did make me hate certain aspects of the fandom i would say sure. because i was the only girl this place had hired in 10 years oh my god and there were some yeah. pull customers that were so pissed off about them hiring a girl that they took their pull list down the street to the like competing comic shop they like could not bear to see me and i don't know it was just really strange so oh there were some really weird attitudes about you know me being in the shop suddenly um uh, and I wasn't a fan of that or them (laughs) but it didn't diminish you know my growing passion for the art form itself the medium yeah I feel like working in a shop I on, on my good days I was like comics is amazing because fandom has so many different like facets you can like a comic in a certain way or a complete like i was just meeting people all the time who loved the same comics as me for completely different reasons or loved a different thing you know like and i thought that's so cool and on a bad day i was like 
man, there's a lot of really terrible people who are into <laughs> comics. But I think, I, I, you know, if I worked in a restaurant, I'd be like, man, there's a lot of really terrible people who are into food. So, like, I, you know, yeah, I don't think yeah. that's a, sh a shot on comics, but it, it does feel more personal in comics for some reason. It, I guess it's smaller and it feels intimate and, like... Well, you know, a... it's using your example of working in a restaurant. Most people don't, like go to wait tables because they're passionate about the food you know it, sure. they're taking a job but yeah. um it's it's really understandable for why people who are exceptionally passionate about comics are drawn towards working in a comic book shop surrounded by all of them um so i think the stakes are higher for all of that passion concentrated into one venue alone yeah yeah, I mean, I, I that that's always the thing, um, you know. Whenever uh, I, I think, I don't think there's a comic creator who's who works at our level who hasn't had a like bad run in with the internet at some point, yeah. and and like, uh, you know, I always sort of comfort myself in those moments of being like, it's this level of passion that allows us to have the job. Like, mm -hmm. this is the this is the bad side of that passion, but like the reverse is that these people buy the books and, and are excited and it, and are there every Wednesday. And that's, it's great, but it is a weird thing to have to come face to face with so often. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I was talking to a car mechanic about this earlier uh, today because it was part of my adventure um, had to put a whole bunch of money into my car and this Yay. car mechanic, as it turned out, like he was just trying to make conversation, asked me what I did. And then I told him I write comics and he was like, what do you write? And I was, you know, just kind of rattle off some titles. And um, he happened to be kind of like a former uh, participant in some unsavory comics related movements, uh -huh. if you know uh -huh. what I'm saying. And so sure. when he realized who I was, <laughs> it was almost awkward. But then he was like, so you get a lot of hate online, huh? And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> okay, wow. So we're going there right away. Um, and uh, I, I told the, the same thing to him pretty much that you just said, where it's like, this is, you know, as with any other sort of niche community that gathers around um, a work that they are particularly inspired by and feel strongly about, like people have really strong feelings about certain properties. You know, the Star Wars fandom, also a hot mess. Voltron fandom, <laughs> they're so shitty to each other. Like it's, is that it's true? Not... Is that true though? It is. Oh, it is. Amazing. It is. Yeah. I think like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm an expert in cringe culture. I, I like study it. I'm fascinated with it. So we can go off on this whole thing where I tell you about the different fandoms and which ones are the worst. But I'm just saying, like, it's not just comics that has this sort of <laughs> inner turmoil going on. It's it's every single, uh, you know, community, fandom community yeah. that gathers around a shared passion. Yeah. It's... it's um it's funny because I, I think about, I think about it a lot because my, my family growing up uh, are big baseball fans and I, I'm not, I sort of absorbed that vicariously just from being in a house that had baseball on all the time and whatever, but uh, we're from New York and so we're Mets fans and the difference between 
Mets fans and Yankees fans is that Yankees fans expect to win and Mets fans expect to lose and like yeah and it's kind of great and I kind of love rooting for the team where you're like well it's going good but it's all going to fall apart it feels very natural to me (laughs) Um, and and I uh, you know years ago my my dad said to me uh, you know like one of the players wasn't doing well and a bunch of guys at the stating we're booing him and my dad was like don't you don't boo your own team that's yankee stuff yankees fans boo their team <laughs> and i was always like oh we're the we're the accepting losers like when we're losing we're like <laughs> a big family around it and i was like yeah they're, 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 it's weird that like the fandoms just in, in in sports like i feel like that prepared me well to make comics to be like we'll find the losers who are going to be a loser with you and find the people (laughs) who are going to like, you know, be okay. When you stumble, don't find the people who are like going to boo you. (laughs) And like that to me is, is such a, like, I don't know. It's, I somehow, I find it both upsetting and peaceful in some way to be like, well, this is just everything. This is sports. This is the world. Like this is politics now to just be like, it's a big game and we boo the other team and we hate them and you know social media has also kind of exacerbated that condition greatly um it's i don't know there's something really insidious about the way twitter in particular is programmed the way that it's designed um i call it uh the agitation algorithm the way that they've set up the tweets where you know how they like show suggested tweets and stuff yeah yeah. they don't show things that they think you're interested in they show you things that they know are going to make you mad yeah and they Mm -hmm. show your stuff to people that it's going to you know piss them off too so it just kind of like sets everything up for conflict and divisiveness there's no nuance there's no discussion or open forums there's no moderation it's just yeah everybody in one big room yelling over each other to be heard yeah i remember i remember realizing like early on on twitter that like when i kept being like why are people like so passionate about these things that like no one should be this passionate about (laughs) just like an episode of a random sitcom and people like this is the best episode of tv ever made or like this is the worst thing i've ever seen like (laughs) it was fine like and then i i you just realize that it's like well this is a machine that rewards you with engagement and no Mm -hmm. one is ever going to get engagement by being like this is okay this is fine you know like i saw this movie it was decent it's not something that so like it just rewards you for being more hyperbolic and more aggressive and more and it and it i think it's really has seeped into the culture's brain in this very strange Mm -hmm. way that is hard to distance yourself from but at the same is time, there anything like, in is, is there anything in particular that you guys do like a fucking mental exercise or whatever just to like cleanse from shit like that especially when it's really personal like when there's like the really like gendered stuff going on and like 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 the really nasty shit like how do you let that roll off your back how how does that work for you I just have to insulate myself from it I have to not see it at all um right. because it's, it's going to ruin my day. It's going to hurt my feelings. Like I, you know, especially like the gendered stuff in particular, um, it it just really gets me down. So the only way to protect myself is to uh, not, I don't really use Twitter anymore. I don't look, um, I never name search ever, ever, ever. I think that (laughs) 
people uh, in our line of work who name search themselves are doing it as a form of self-harm. Yeah, I just, I, I can't look at it and try to avoid it as much as possible. Do you feel like, uh, obviously, we're going to have very different experiences with sort of fandom and stuff, but do you find, and maybe this goes back to the the car mechanic, but like, in person, I find the audience lovely. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. I uh, audience, this is amazing. I go into a comic shop, and everyone there is wonderful and lovely. And like, at a convention, everyone is really kind and great. And then you there's this huge disconnect with social media. And it's sort of hard for me to reconcile those two things like yeah that's generally been my experience as well the only sort of like bad encounters i've had in real life have been of the you know gendered kind and i would have had that bad encounter no matter the context because that's just who that person was you know what i mean yeah, yeah. like they were always gonna say something shitty and sexist to me yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but yeah, it is generally my experience that it, it doesn't matter like what divide, what side of the divide, you know, of the fandom that these people fall on in person, they're much more kind and understanding and willing to hear you out. But also, I, I think the the loudest and and most hateful, you know, people online um, just would never say that kind of thing in person <laughs> in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they, they feel empowered being able to say it online, uh, especially, you know, if they have like an anime obby and <laughs> an anonymous account, like they're going to say whatever they want. <laughs> um, but they'd never say that to a comic creator's face yeah. because they know it's inappropriate behavior. I, I find I, less so since the pandemic, but, but to answer your question, Ethan, like I find that interacting with fans in real life is sort of a good reset for me of right, like right. interacting with social media that I'm like, mm -hmm. go out, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, sign remind yourself that people aren't monsters. In yes. Yeah. <laughs> Find some books yeah, yeah. for people who are like, I liked this thing. And like, yes, it's a little bit of an ego boost and whatever, but like, <laughs> sure. it's also nice. And I, you know, I think a lot about just like from working in a comic shop where people signed and like, you know, meeting creators when I was coming up and, and just like how nice some creators were to me and like how much that meant to me. And I'm just like, I, I'm kind of awkward and weird in person. So I'm always trying to like, be nice, be nice, like make eye contact, smile at people. You like, were one of those creators for me when I first started, though. Oh, I don't think that's true. But it's nice of you to say. No, it is true. I, I was planning on talking about this, even without that perfect segue. You absolutely were. Well, that's that. Uh, that's nice to hear. For, for me, I... Uh, it's funny because I have like a few creators who I'm like, oh, this person was really, really kind to me. And and one of them is Brian Bendis that I like mm. when I was starting, I went to Brian Bendis and was like, you know, I'm, I, you know, you're one of the reasons I write comics and all this. I want to write comics and all this stuff. And he was so kind to me. And I've had, you know, become become friends with Brian over the years and have a relationship. And I said to him once, you know, like I'm always sort of chasing that moment of you being kind to me. Like, that's who I want to be as a creator is that to like aspiring creators and 
and my peers like be that welcoming and kind and supportive and and brian was so awesome he was like he was like you're not you're not thanking me and i was like no I, i am thanking you and he was like no because I have that person too. And for me, it's Walt Simonson. Walt Simonson took time out of his day to be that kind and generous with his time to me. And he was like, so I'm always chasing Walt Simonson trying to be as kind as Walt. You have also now paid it forward with me because you're definitely one of my persons in that regard. Well, thank you. That's nice of you to say. So you, you were doing journalism stuff. You were writing a lot of articles and, Mm. and things like that. I was writing passion projects. It was kind of like not something I was necessarily pursuing as my, you know, day job, but there would be things that um, I wouldn't be able to get out of my head, uh, certain subjects and, you know, that kind of thing. So I would pitch articles about them, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I I think it was... um, I wrote an article for the Atlantic about how Hollywood kind of whitewashed the old West and they stole stories of these adventures that had happened to um, black men, like freed slaves who were living in the West and having kind of these heroic adventures. Um, And then, you know, cast uh, John Wayne in the starring roles. Yeah. And so I think that uh, is what got the attention of, um, Chris Robinson, then Marvel editor, who reached out to me about writing comics for the first time. Oh, I, I was I was going to ask, like, when, you know, what what was the thing that that got you on the radar? Um, but did you want to be writing comics when you were doing that? Were you like, I'm hoping to be writing comics? At that no, point? because it was never something that I considered even remotely possible for me i had worked in a comic book shop i had been a girl working in a comic book shop and all signs to me were that like you know this is going to be kind of a hostile environment if it's already like this just with customers i cannot imagine what it would be like in you know the creative industry itself Mm. so it isn't something that i had ever once considered um until i got that email from chris and you know, he was just like, I, I read some of your work, um, was just wondering, have you ever thought about writing comics? And of course, at the time that I opened that email, I had like a 12 foot long vinyl poster of the X-Men on uh-huh. <laughs> my wall behind me. And I had to like take 12 hours to calm down enough to reply. And I just lied. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I have thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I remember uh, when I got my first Jake Thomas, who was an editor at Marvel at the time, when he first reached out to me. And I, I did want to write a comic. I was writing comics, but I did want to write at Marvel. And I remember, like, I was on my phone walking out the door, and I saw the email. And I, like, I, I was like, I have to sit down. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared, and I needed to, like, emotionally, I was like, I need to sit down. And, like, I sat on the steps of my house and was just, like, sat for five minutes. And then it was like, I want to take a day and, like, don't want to seem too eager. And I started to go outside and then turned around and was like, no, no, he's going to give the job to someone else. And, I never <laughs> back. So, and so I, like, I, I had a whole plan and then, like, totally went back on it. So, I, I, yeah, it's funny that you you had the same, like, being frozen for a moment it, it oh, is a yeah, it is a weird it is a weird feeling um i you know i i knew who you were 
when you started your first what was your first thing you did the the she hulk was that your first thing um it was hulk yeah it was amadeus oh, show, though i wrote like a oh, right, right. a backup short um in the monsters unleashed event and okay. brian Edward hill wrote the main story with uh amadeus and then i wrote a backup short about uh his little sister maddie wow. and i don't remember what it was about <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> but I, I i remember i remember yeah i remember you at the time because you were like on twitter talking about comics all the time you were, i was yeah i yeah. was really and this was like a strange transition for me to go from just being like a vocal outspoken shit poster about <laughs> comics like an active participant in the fandom saying whatever she wants um to being a professional and like there is a line there yeah. when you can no longer um kind of set foot in both worlds yeah i really tried <laughs> for a while and that first year was definitely um kind of a strange like transitional stage for me uh where i still wanted to continue behaving the way that i had always behaved um yeah. on the internet because it's fun for me sure, uh sure. but then reaching a point where you know people in the fandom would get terrified about me shit posting about characters because they're like, is that what you're going to write? Are you going to yeah. do that? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I remember you because your stuff, like people would share your stuff with me a lot and I'd see it shared and, and stuff. And you, you would post a lot of stuff that I it, is, it, you know, to a lesser degree, the same thing of like, I'd be like, yeah, I want to retweet that, but I can't because like, this is where I work. <laughs> because it would terrify the fans. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, this is funny. This is the kind of thing that writers send to each other but we can't ever acknowledge that we know this exists. Right. Like, um, it was before, you know, I, I had many writing credits to my name and that's why I could get away with tweeting about how I think Emma Frost has a clit hood piercing. And sure, yeah. I can't prove that that's the reason I got to write her in uh, X-Men Black, but I'm pretty sure it was. I think it's that tweet. I think that was basically... Uh, an unintentional pitch for me writing that one shot with her. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, that's, you know, that that goes all the way to the top of Disney. They saw that and they were like, mm, we love this. We, love we got to buy Fox. <laughs> yeah, let's buy, let's buy Fox back. We got to make this. We got This has got to be the movie. Um, once you once you had like crossed that line and you were like, oh, this is a possibility. I can I can make comics like what what were the goals right away? Like, did things start to pop into your head of like, oh, I could I could work on this. I could be a part of this. Um, I think that didn't happen until a bit later, until I had kind of gotten my bearings because for about, I would say the first two years, I kept waiting for the ax to drop. I kept waiting for it not to be real or mm. for it to be taken away. Like it, it felt too good to be true. And, um, I was expecting it to fall through, you know, mm. sooner rather than not. So it wasn't until, um, you know, I like had a kind of steady roster of work and was only getting more and getting 
longer projects and uh, working with other publishers too, that I started to think like, okay, maybe I can really do this and I can stick around. And my goal became um, to also start working with DC. There's a lot of characters there that I love and uh, to do creator owned stuff. I think that is probably still my topmost goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm curious about that because you don't have, I mean, you, you wrote a novel and that's obviously your own thing, but you don't have the, the creator owned uh, catalog that, that I feel like used to be sort of what you had to do like that. It, it feels to me like when I started, like everyone was like, well, you have to do a couple years in the creator owned trenches and then Marvel or DC will hire you. And like they've moved away from that which I think is really great in some ways because that stuff is not for everybody. But also I always like Marvel and DC are such a big stage to be pushed out on. And I, I don't think they necessarily always have the best support system in, in terms of dealing with things like, do yeah, you... like there is no training. Yeah, <laughs> there is yeah. no um, Learning tools or materials available to you. But what saved me is the fact that I went to film school. I have a bachelor's in film production and studies and um, have written full-length screenplays and studied screenwriting. So that was kind of something I had to lean on when I was scripting comics for the first time because it is still writing for a visual medium. It's, Mm -hmm. it's different. There are very clear differences, you know, between the amount of movement you can put in a single frame and that kind of thing. Um, But like, I remember during that first gig, I was very conscious and aware of the fact, like, if I did not already have this training, I would be floundering right now. Like, yeah. I, I know that they're throwing me in the deep end immediately, but if I was not already accustomed to writing for a visual medium, this would be terrifying. Yeah. Hmm. I, and do you, like, obviously you want to go do creator owned. You, you said that, but like, do you feel like that would have helped you in your career? I mean, you don't have a way of knowing that per se, but do you feel yeah, like you sure. missed out on that or? Um, well, I'll tell you what's happened as a consequence of me not making that a top priority. Do you know what a pot bound plant is? Sure. Yeah. That's, that's me creatively. So like I am a plant that's in a container too small for it. My, my Mm -hmm. roots have become impacted and when I get repotted, I'm going to have to injure the roots a little so that I know I have room to grow finally in a newer and bigger space. And anytime I've been working on the same creator owned book for five years now, I want to say, but, um, first, uh, it was with my editor, Jasmine Amiri at Lion Forge, then Lion Forge became Oni and this, this whole other thing. And then, there was another round of layoffs and then there was the pandemic. So it was like one thing after the other, after the other. And now it's been five years and Mm -hmm. I'm still working on this creator owned book, but there have been periods in the past five years where I am so much more scared 
uh, of working on my creator owned than uh, working on something for an existing IP because the existing IP is so much easier. The, like yeah. it's there's a fence. You, yeah. you know where the, <laughs> where the perimeter is. You know you know how to stay inside the lines. But with my creator owned, um, there there are no boundaries. So I can yeah. keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. And over time, I realize like you know, I am a better writer now than I was a year ago. So I've rewritten the first issue. I'm on draft 13 now, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I tell you what, it is the best one so far. Is it, does it, like, does it feel like the same thing? Like, or is it completely like, can you, can you see a logical point from one to 13 where they feel like the same project? Or is it totally like mm. a kind of new idea now at this point? It's the same project in that it's the same characters and the same plot mm. but it's just much more interesting and compact as a story yeah. like i i think kind of the true turning point for me as a writer came um when i started working on x factor which was my first ongoing series but also kind of more importantly, I was working with David Baldion uh, as the artist on that. And he and I were just like creative soulmates immediately. We clicked and he is as intense and, you know, detail oriented as I am with this stuff. So I am kind of restless with quality and I stress test my work over and over again for the weak points and what can be better. And he's the same way about mm -hmm. his art. So we kind of pushed each other and it changed the way that we tell stories and yeah. the way that we approach making comics um, together. And, you know, we kind of haven't looked back since. So of course, you know, when it came time for me to like pick up with render my creator owned again, I was like, Hey, David, <laughs> you want to give this a go? So it's something like really huge and really special. But the reason why I keep improving it is because I'm aware of the fact that like, if I hadn't rewritten it to match how I write now, then I would be putting out, you know, my first original work that represents who I was as a writer five years ago like yeah. it, it would be much lesser yeah it's a time capsule not yes that's a good way of putting it yeah. And that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Leah Williams. Make sure to check out Power Girl and everything else she's working on by giving her a follow on Twitter at MyMonsterIsChic. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the poison?